Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an off-forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and, uh, excuse me, you might get in the fuck out of my way, son. And with me, I've got Liam. Well, I guess that's what brains look like. Sort of like lasagna. Mamma mia, ooh, hey, oh. <laughs> uh... Liam, I would like to formally welcome you to the fifth year running of this podcast. Wowie zowie. Dude, I know. Like, <laughs> I, I don't mean to, like, put such a point on it last week and now, but, like, five is such a big sounding. That's more years than they put in between Olympics. It really is big, and it, it it's putting into perspective how fast time is going now that I'm older and how little i now seem to care about time passing i mean i care about it when i think back um to things like this and think where did the time go but like five years was a much bigger deal when i was you know 11 to 16 it feels like forever 17 to 22 but thinking back as i guess five years ago when we started this i was like 21 22 but uh that doesn't feel like long ago at all. I don't really feel like that much of a different person. Yeah, it is. It, it's just weird to think about. Um, I think what it just drives home is how much faster time feels like it passes. Um, like high school felt like a whole lifetime like unto itself. And we've spent more time doing this than we did ever doing that. Yes. Weird. Just weird. And... Um, I'm wow. very excited to keep doing it though. It's just that it has something I've been grappling with like lately. I think maybe I'm being a little existential about it because like my birthday's soon. So maybe I've just got like <laughs> age in the brain. Okay. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just cool to have like a milestone. Um I'm sure it'll feel like as weird when uh we get to to five years total. Uh if I sound distracted, I can hear the rain outside now. So it has started raining. Um, for, for just for context for the listener, I'm going to pick up my mic and turn my head. Uh, yeah, it's pouring quite a bit. Uh, I'm under a tornado warning at the moment as we, as we record this podcast, uh, the third one in like three weeks, which is atypical for where we live. So if there's like a sudden jarring cut at any point in this episode, uh, it was for my own safety. Uh, but for now we're good. So we're just gonna keep this going. I've got one earbud out, so if I if I hear anything that sounds particularly gnarly, uh, I'll hit save on this file, and then we'll come back to it. Nice, bro. We'll stay safe. I mean, I'm kind of jealous of of the rain. I do love looking at the rain. Yeah, I am. I am not in the city that Corey's in right now. I have uh, fled. I'm on vacation in the town I grew up in, the town that uh, perhaps the idea for the podcast was sort of crystallized, because this is the town I was in over summer vacation in, in, when Corey and I went to college together, and uh, this was the house I was in when you and I would watch movies together remotely, random-ass right. movies, and talk about them. Sort of the proto-podcast. Yeah, we haven't done that in a while. It was like a casual rip. But uh, it really was like the proto-podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good time. I wonder if anybody listening hears that and goes like, oh, damn, like, there's like missing episodes that we'll never know. 
<laughs> I guess in the sense that like Corey and I have have had conversations you'll never hear before. Years of those, I a, suppose. A lot of them, if you really think about it. You'd have to pay us a lot of money on Patreon to get us to carry around a recorder everywhere we go. Yeah. But there is a price that we would accept. Just Truman Show our whole lives to people. Yeah, the number exists. I just don't know how high it is. It's really high. But it it is real. I am human and we do need money to live. So that's a tough one for us. But, uh, you know, we'll have to see. And, you know, instead of giving you something completely foreign to you, a real deep cut conversation, let's do something a little bit more familiar, I think. It's the start of a new year of They Made Another One. And we have a plan for that. Uh, it's tradition on this show for us to talk about a texas chainsaw massacre whenever we start a new year of the show whether it's the texas chainsaw massacre or just another one of them really varies from year to year um we have done we're watching the fifth one that we've done i guess it would have to be if this is the fifth year wouldn't it but the first year we did the show we didn't start with one we but did. I, we, it was it was our first recorded episode. We just didn't put it out until a bit into the season. Oh, do I have my... Because in my head, I just associate it with Hellraiser as being the start, which it is, I guess, technically. Yeah, the first episode we put out was Hellraiser, but the first episode we ever recorded, which is how this tradition came to be by the time we got to our second year, well, the first episode we ever recorded was Texas Chainsaw 3D, and I think that came out like halfway through the first season or something later yeah okay so so i stand corrected so we've seen texas chainsaw 3d we've seen next generation we've seen leatherface we have seen uh i'm missing one texas chainsaw massacre 2 and now we we have seen the texas chainsaw massacre 2003 this reboot differentiating itself no wait we also did 2022 already. Yes, but that wasn't a premiere. I just snuck that in because it had just come out and I was excited right. about it. So so we are one ahead. I just had my, my timeline off. But we're a little ahead of schedule in the grand scheme of things. Um, but yeah, this t- 2003 one leaves us with a prequel left and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. And then we will have completed a whole movie series on this show. Yes, for the first and perhaps only time. Probably only. I, I mean, it, dep- it depends what you classify as a series, right? Like there, there are some that are just the one movie and then the sequel. Um, I guess we've done the whole Blair Witch series. That would be three movies. Um, but we didn't do the first the one. Right, but we also haven't done the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie oh, on this yeah. podcast. I don't know why, why I thought that was some kind of gotcha. You're right. <laughs> I mean, it'll definitely be the longest series we've completed yeah. i think in my head again i was like well i've seen the first texas chainsaw massacre movie so i think i'm just lumping all of these things together <laughs> um but yeah we picked this one out uh last week notably for this season uh the last movie we'll have picked out for a while <laughs> um because in case you missed it the genero's back which is why mitch isn't here he quit which is why mitch isn't here he did not get swept away in a dastardly tornado um, he threw his hands up and said that he just couldn't fucking take it anymore. Um, he was living through sleepless nights in a constant fear of what William Castle could do to him. 
And while I think that's an understandable reaction, it is the coward's one. Uh, so we'll have to see if he gets over that anytime soon. Uh, but just us for today. Um, and we're talking about a movie featuring a lot of familiar faces behind the camera, which I think is interesting. Um, and at least one familiar face in front of the camera. At that least, Leatherface guy. Yeah, if not a few. But um, I, I think it probably goes without saying, given that we've decided to commit to this franchise in this way, that we like it. Um, I hope so. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, maybe not. It could, we sort of uh, happenstanced our way into it just by making Texas Chainsaw 3D the first we ever recorded. And then, and then once we realized that was a thing, we decided to have fun with it. But maybe, maybe you don't like it. I mean, do you like it? I think so. I think that may come as a bit of a shock. I know, I do think that if you listen to the podcast, I think very slightly, I've probably disliked more of them than I've liked on this show. Yeah, well, off off my memory, you uh, really dislike Texas Chainsaw 22. Yes. You softly disliked Texas Chainsaw 2 and Leatherface. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think and softly you, and, disliked and, is good. And you loved the next generation, but then perhaps loved it a bit less after watching the original. Yeah, I don't know if I love it less more than I just like. I recognized that it was a really good version of a thing and not its own thing. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think that's accurate. And I'd say you. Uh, it's hard to say about that first ever episode we did, Texas Chainsaw 3D. I think I think we were critical about that movie because it was our first ever recording and we were looking to really um, analyze the movie as, as yeah, deeply we also as we could. We swearing at that point. Like. Right, yeah. <laughs> so maybe you were easily... If you can't swear, it's, it's easier to... Uh, hide whether you really fucking like something <laughs> or really fucking hate something yeah uh, but i'd say i'd say we like texas chainsaw 3d even though we probably talk about uh cr- being critical of it a lot in that episode i haven't listened back and i i would hazard to guess if we rewatched that movie we would like it more now i think i think probably that's true and i think that it is worth noting that i think soft dislike is an interesting phrase um because like in memory the the good and the bad kind of both stay in my mind about particularly about Leatherface and about uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 I like I get those um whereas 2022 just kind of eluded me entirely it seems but um I I think even if it's not something that I'm like a diehard fan of I have a deep like fondness for it now uh that first movie is like truly spectacular and like there is some just great stuff here but i think just having this tradition is a good way to endear anything to you and i'm very endeared to texas chainsaw massacre now which is cool as am i yeah i mean i don't remember where i was five years ago what i had seen in the 
in the franchise. It might just be the original, to be honest. I don't even remember if I had Next Gen at that point. If I had, I would have said that I really dislike Next Gen because it took the rewatch for the podcast for my mind to be blown by it. So over the last five years, I have become very endeared to this franchise as well. I would even go so far to say as I think it is the most consistent horror franchise out there, which um, I know a lot of people would think is outlandish considering the next gen is in there, uh, which is so often derided. Um, uh, Texas Chainsaw 2 is often uh, seen as a lesser version of the first one. and um, But I, I, I think that it's really cool how every installment of this movie is sort of like a remake of the first one in uh with a different sort of tone um and i think it's just it's a really cool story to redo tonally it's you know it's so simple but the idea is so scary dude with a chainsaw who who wears people's faces and comes from a fucked up family i think that's a that's a good idea that i'm just down to see told again and again and i I think it it basically always hits for me yeah it We've talked before on the show about, with you in particular, but the series or the structures where you're like, they could make this movie a million times and I'd watch it every time. You've said that about Halloween. And I think this is a similar thing of just like, even if I don't like it, you can have multiple takes on this thing and I will want to see what you're trying to do. Yes, yeah. I also feel that way about the Willy Wonka story, and uh, that is really being put to the test, uh, <laughs> seemingly, this December. Yeah. So were you immediately turned off? I know we talked about this like amongst ourselves, but you were immediately turned off by Wonka? Yes, I thought that trailer was abhorrent. Yeah, also, I didn't realize this until later. Um, that movie is like a musical. There's no songs in mm. the trailer. Why aren't they showing right. this? How bad are the songs if they didn't want to show those? Like That's the best they could do. Oh, yeah. It doesn't surprise me to hear it's a musical, but that, yeah, that is interesting. That yeah. It's not really in the trailer we're at gonna, all. We're going to have to, like, call an audible to make sure we do that in the show, I think. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, 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 on to. time. Like, that might be, like, a cats go to the theater sure. kind of situation. <laughs> sure. Um, For various reasons. I'm less of a Wonka diehard than I am a Timothy Chalamet fan, but... <laughs> and... It sounds like, uh, regardless, <laughs> you whether you're Wonka or Timothy, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna see something you love be, <laughs> be destroyed. Um, but yeah, why the? I don't know if I've asked this, but why the Wonka one? Just because like there's so few actual iterations of that that like. Yeah, I do just, you just I want just want more of it, or yeah, I do want more of it. I just think it's such a. Uh, it's such a again simple story that once you're in that chocolate factory can go in all sorts of directions. You can either play the same story with different tones and it'll feel different or you could do like the uh Winnie the Pooh blood and honey thing where it like just becomes like a horror movie once you're in there. That would be fun. Um I I just think I've just always kind of been fascinated by by that tale. Yeah, I think you'd have to be careful taking the slashery kind of approach without it just feeling like inherently silly. But like, it's got legs. No. Maybe they should have just put Wonka in this movie. In in Texas Chainsaw, maybe. I would like that. <laughs> just see what happens. I what if like Willy that. Wonka was present for William Wonka was present 
for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or depending on your spelling, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's the yes. one way this movie differentiates itself. It's like, well, we got we need people to know that this isn't from 1974. How are we going to do that? Oh, I know. Just make chainsaw one word. Well, it really worked out for them that in the original movie it was two words. I got no, I have no clue why it was, but like, if it had been one word, I don't think they would have split it up in this movie. Like, they would have had to find something else to do. They wouldn't have thought to put a space between Shane and Saw. No, there's no reason to have done that. Also, I just turned around and holy smokes, it is. Uh, I think it's slightly hailing. It's a hundred percent hailing, and it's raining quite hard. Wow. I think we're still good, but I just want to give... I'm going to give live weather updates for a podcast that will be uploaded in a week. But, but uh, let me... I'm just going to really quickly like document this. I will send this to you so you can see it. Just to vouch that like what I'm seeing is absolutely insane. <laughs> oh, my God. Sure. Uh, Put it on the Instagram page. Oh, yeah. I will. When this episode goes out, I will. But uh, so I've just sent you a video, and then while you while you look at that, I'm gonna start the casting crew. Does that work for you? That works for me. All right. Holy smokes, people! <laughs> I'm not really a storms guy, so I'm glad I have something to focus on that's not that. Otherwise, I would mostly be having a bad time. Uh, this movie's directed by a guy that we've heard of quite a bit on this show. Um. I think it's more that his legacy looms large rather than we've talked about a ton of his movies. But his name is Marcus Nispel. Uh, Friday the 13th, 2009 is his like notable thing for us. Um, but also the Conan the Barbarian 2011 remake, a Frankenstein movie from 2004 with Parker Posey, um, and an absolute boatload of music videos. Like he was a... He spent like a decade plus directing music videos before he even did a feature, which I think is kind of interesting. And then to get thrown this, like this was his first movie, um, which is really that is interesting. interesting. I guess that was sort of the maybe part of the Platinum Dunes mo because the guy who did Nightmare on Elm Street was also a music video director. He did the the Teen Spirit music video. Maybe Michael Bay just knew a bunch of music video guys. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. There will be more music videos as we progress through these credits. Uh, but not with Scott Kosar, who was the writer. Um, he also wrote The Machinist and The Amityville Horror from 2005. He did a little bit of writing on two TV shows, but he's better known as a producer of the two of them, which are Bates Motel and The Haunting of Hill House. Nice. Those are like well-liked shows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he just pivoted into a producing role, I guess. Uh, we've got Glenn Scantlebury on the editing. So he also, he's worked on two other movies that we've watched. Bram Stoker's Dracula and A Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. Wow, one of those makes a lot more sense than the other. Highs and lows, for sure. Uh, yeah, the, the Bram Stoker's Dracula is a huge outlier in his filmography in general, like not even just among what I chose. Cause like, I also pointed out Con Air and Lara Croft Tomb Raider, but like even then, yeah, it's a big outlier. Um, Daniel Pearl, 
another person that we're familiar with uh, has shot a ton of music videos. Like, more music videos than I could bother to write down. Like, just an in- unfathomable amount. Uh, but including in those is uh, Super Freaky Girl by Nicki Minaj, which I'm naming because it's a new song. And uh, All I Want for Christmas is You 2019 by Mariah Carey. So he's still at it. Oh, yeah. But uh, also some of Marcus Nispel's movies, including Frankenstein from 2004, Friday the 13th, 2009, uh, that Elijah Wood movie, Mom and Dad, uh, The Boy. Elijah Wood, Mom and Dad. Isn't Elijah Wood in that? He might have produced it if you're seeing his name, but I don't think he's in it. I thought he was in it. Maybe I'm just stupid. Anyway. Um, the long sh- you might be thinking of uh, Come to Daddy. I am. Mom and Dad is a different film. I was definitely thinking of that. But uh, he also shot the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. Yeah, yeah. He And he uh, he's on a commentary track um, on one of the releases as well with uh, Gunnar Hansen and, and Toby Hooper. He's really... Uh, thoughtful about his work it was it's a cool track it's to bizarre to. because he had said i wanted to like bookend my career with texas chainsaw massacre movies and then he shot like a bunch of other shit after this i guess yeah, i guess he got a second wind it's cool that he seemed to get along with marcus nispel and then yeah they really did more kept stuff it going. with him yeah um another person he kept it going with uh was steve jablonski who has kind of worked with a mix and mash of a bunch of these ca- other guys um, including A Nightmare on Elm Street 2010, Friday the 13th 2009, The Amityville Horror 2005. Um, Man, Bat- sounds like we got to we got to hit that Amityville movie. <laughs> yeah, eh? Transformers, and then a bunch of the other Transformers movies. Uh, Battleship, Pain and Gain, Deepwater Horizon, The Last Witch Hunter, and a bunch of confusing-looking Friday the 13th parodies. Like, they're titles that what? don't have all their letters capitalized, like, in the name. They're by some, like, very obscure, I think, Russian dude. I could not find anything about them. I have no idea. <laughs> but he worked on them. Or they're using his music and they just took it. I don't know if, I don't mm. know what what outcome it is. I have no way of knowing how involved he was. But uh, that's also in there. That's that's everybody in our core crew, though, that we usually get to. And now for the cast, um, good mix of people in this movie, I must say. Um, before we get to anything, like the cast is pretty well-rounded and some familiar faces. Um, new to us on the show. No, wait, that's not a lie. I think that's a lie. It is. <laughs> Jessica Biel plays Aaron, who we'll obviously all remember from New Year's Eve. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, remember that? I constantly forget that we watched that movie. Like, every time I see the name of it, I go like, oh, did we watch that? And then I have to go and, like, pause for a beat, think about it, and then go, yes, we did watch it. I remember that we watched it all the time just because it, it was so niche that it it's memorable to me. But I definitely forget almost everyone who's in the movie. And so whenever you, you mention that someone has been on the show i'm like what could they have possibly been in and it's almost always new year's eve yeah i think that movie's interesting because i find the episode really memorable and the movie not memorable at all 
but like the fact that we did it sticks out to me you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah i probably agree with that um but she was also in uh the illusionist uh the a team oh. from 2010 oh that's a good one blade trinity and uh total recall from 2012 which i think is an incredible candidate for this show i believe yeah, it's in the general already but i've seen that movie i'll just make sure it's in the general since we've really got to make sure this this list is up to snuff for next week did you hear that no fuck i'm hearing it like i have faint music playing under this recording in my own ears because i wanted to block the storm out and i'm hearing the thunder through that anyway wow what do you what do you uh score our podcast with when you put on music here um right now i am listening to the new caroline polachek album uh desire i want to turn into you uh last time i did tangerine dream which was probably a better fit because it doesn't have words uh this has words but it's very quiet in my ears cool Um, that sounds like a nice vibe it's a very recent addition to like my approach to the recording uh i think it's just to mix it up from doing it at home because now that we're doing most of them in person those have such a distinct feeling that i guess i'm trying to just like mix it up at home a little bit more nice i don't know if that's like irresponsible podcasting of me or if if that's something that other people do but i don't think it's holding me back no do what you gotta do yeah if anything i'm just this storm is just weird um we've got jonathan tucker as morgan he was in uh, a few uh movies only one of them is really a good candidate for us which is charlie's angels 2019 uh but he was also in the virgin suicides i've been wanting to see that i haven't seen it either i i know multiple people that really like it it sounds like something i would really like i would like to watch it yeah um as somebody who already likes picnic at hanging rock it gives me a similar impression uh so i'd probably like it but i i don't know yet uh it's also he's also in a movie called god is a bullet which uh i learned today is directed by nick cassavetes the son of john cassavetes and gina rollins and then i learned that that guy directed the notebook and that was just a weird thing for me to learn and then we've got a friend of the show erica learson as pepper did you recognize her right away no oh i did (laughs) allow me to ring a bell for you ring my bell book of shadows blair witch 2 what whoa oh dude i guess this is only three years after book of shadows oh my (laughs) gosh every time you bring up uh you're bringing up like other movies that these people did i almost always think that those movies must have come out before this movie like when you said that marcus nispel did frankenstein i i I thought for a second oh i heard that texas chainsaw was his first movie how did he do frankenstein and then i realized that 2004 was after this movie came out it is it is amazing to me how how modern this movie feels and how dated book of shadows feels i guess is what i'm getting at yeah no i understand what you mean it, it almost feels like book of shadows exists in a vacuum like unto itself completely it is yes. such a singular thing um it doesn't even specifically feel like it's a product of the early 2000s like so much of it does feel like that but it's also got such a unique slant to its weirdness that it just like exists on its own uh, but she's one of the core group in that movie and in this one. And uh, another movie we haven't gotten to yet, Wrong Turn 2, Dead End. 
Okay, good for her. Yeah, that's on the list for sure. Uh, we've got Mike Vogel as Andy, who is in a lot of stuff, actually, um, including Cloverfield. He's one of the guys in Cloverfield. Um, he was in She's Out of My League, Blue Valentine, The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, The Help, and most importantly for us, Liam, you'll you'll remember this. He's in the movie Grind. Oh. Yeah, that's our guy. Yeah. <laughs> Grind. That would have been like the same year, I think. I think it was 2004. Okay. Dude. I know we've talked about Grind before, but like, that is, I watched that movie so much. <laughs> what a what a cool little period for skateboarding culture, because Lords of Dogtown was right around that time too. Yeah, speaking of Tony Hawk games, were killing it. Yeah, you know who just had a part come out? Who? Ryan Sheckler, and it's fucking awesome. Oh, I bet it is, dude. dude he's a great skateboarder. Yeah, and he's like still ripping. He's got a video. He also just had a My War video come out on Thrasher. It's so good. Cool. Shout out I've to Ryan Sheckler. <laughs> yeah. Um, Eric Balfour as Kemper. Eric Balfour is a guy that I find very recognizable, and then I look at his filmography, and I'm like, I haven't seen any of this shit. But I feel yeah. like I know him. I think I've seen him in more stuff than you, but I also have that feeling as well. And I think part of it is because I, I get him confused with... Um, a, the guy who's at the beginning of Friday the 13th, 2009, that actor's name is uh, Ben Feldman. If you look up Ben Feldman, he's also a guy who I see him and I'm like, I've seen him in stuff. And I think that I tend to just think he and Eric Balfour are the same person. That's fair. That's an understandable reaction to have, I think. Um, but Eric Balfour, you've seen him in 24, Six Feet Under... Inland Empire, but not the David Lynch Inland Empire. He made another thing that he directed called Inland Empire uh, that apparently is sort of like this is Spinal Tap, which is interesting. Uh, and Liam, he was in Skyline. That, yeah, I know that. Yeah. So, I remember not that the well. one that we did, but obviously we've talked about Skyline quite a bit on this show. So, yeah. Hard to forget that one. I like that we're getting both Skyline and Cloverfield mentions in this episode. Yeah, sci-fi time. Yeah. And also, that just feels like a very specific moment that, like, both of those movies got made. And um, Yeah, yeah, I guess it was around the same time. Hey? Yeah, I think they were, like, a year apart. We've got Andrew Bryanarski. Uh, I don't know why on Wikipedia they chose to not credit him as Leatherface. They credit him as Thomas Hewitt, which I think is funny. Um, he's Leatherface. Uh, Dang, I, I guess they're just like <laughs> really buying into the story here that this is a this is a human. This is a guy. Yeah. He wasn't born a monster. He was created. Yeah, they're taking the go get him cuz approach. To <laughs> oh, dude, we've got to watch that movie again. <laughs> um. He was in uh, Street Fighter. Uh, he plays Zangief in Street Fighter, the movie. Um, he was in Hudson Hawk, Any Given Sunday, Rollerball, um, and also a movie called Cyborg 3, The Recycler, which I think is a great name. <laughs> wow. 
It's got Ma- just recycling people. It's got Malcolm McDowell in it apparently, but and they bill him like he's starring, but I guarantee they had him for a day and he was in it for five minutes. Man, that movie must work really hard to make the term the recycler cool. I I honestly think the recycler is a cool term on its own. I just don't know if the movie like meets the coolness of the term. I would almost do you argue. think do you do you think he's a literal recycler or is it like no he's he, like he like recycles cyborgs by like killing them right okay I think that's what I would wager or it's like it's like a documentary about climate change and he's a recycler <laughs> we've got uh R Lee Ermy I always thought it was Emery but it's not it's Ermy as Sheriff Hoyt who everyone will know from Full Metal Jacket. Uh, but he's also in seven, the Toy Story movies, uh, Mississippi Burning, and uh, he was in the Terror Within Two, which is I I always mention the sequels when we can. It's not like they made Full Metal Jacket two or anything. So, I mean, they could have, but they didn't do that. Uh, David Dorfman plays Jedediah. He was also the kid in the remake of The Ring. Yes, he was. That's right. I love being the guy that gets to deliver all this information (laughs) yeah dude you just get to you're just a a teacher um lauren german uh plays the girl just the girl they pick up uh oh yeah she 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 gets it pretty bad she is our return to the chicago pd chicago fire universe she's on those shows oh now that you mention it i do recognize her you do? Yeah. Yeah, just from those from those shows, yeah. That's so sick. That's really cool. She's also in Hostel Part 2. Okay, another franchise we yeah. somehow haven't gotten and to. And was on yet. Lucifer for a long time, which is a show I'm not particularly familiar with. Um but it was like 80 episodes or something that she was on, so it went for a while. Uh let's see, last few here. We've got Terrence Evans as Old Monty. I need everyone to know that in the prequel, he's just credited as Monty, which I think is really funny. That's amazing. Um, Consistency. Yeah. He was in... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to start shortening these because a lot of these are, are fairly deep cuts. Uh, I'll stick to the ones that we can do. Uh, Curse 2, The Bite. Uh, okay. Marietta Merrick was plays Luda May. Uh, she was in uh, the, the Wes Anderson movie Rushmore, but also Children of the Corn for The Gathering. Uh, Heather Kafka plays Henrietta. Kathy Lampkin plays Tea Lady in Trailer. She is in a movie called Gambler 5 Playing for Keeps, starring Kenny Rogers. Whoa. Yeah, dude. <laughs> uh, Brad Leland plays Big Rig Bob. Uh, he was on Friday Night Lights, both the movie and the TV show, as different guys. My understanding is I think that the TV show is fiction and the movie is like fiction, but based on a book about a real football team. I think that's what it is, but whatever. I haven't seen it. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Mammy Meek plays Clark and uh, the narrator is John LaRoquette, who was also the narrator for the 1974 film and the 2022 film. Uh, He was also in Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. The John LaRoquette Show, um, a 
long-running TV movie series called McBride and uh, Star Trek Three. Good for him. It's cool that that he uh, has reprised his role as, as the narrator so often. Yeah, cool. I don't think I would have noticed if somebody hadn't pointed it out, but I think it's neat that it has that continuity. Yeah. Uh, and this movie is... It's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, it's slightly different than the first movie. Um, in largely superficial ways in terms of like the raw plot... But um, we have a group of teens, young or young adults, I guess they're not like strictly teens, but um, traveling in a van, trying to get somewhere. In this particular instance, bro, <laughs> my phone just got another emergency alert for a tornado warning. I thought we already had one. <laughs> what the fuck? Reminder uh, update. Just in case you forgot. Um, well, they weren't under a tornado warning in this movie, but they do end up picking up a hitchhiker who has clearly been like horribly mi- like uh, brutalized and traumatized. Uh, I'd rather pick up a tornado. Yeah, And she uh, just straight up kills herself in their van. Uh, so they try to contact the police. Uh, they are ultimately aren't able to do that. They get stuck by this weird like mill. They see a little kid creepy little kid just like fucking around um they get over to a house where there's a man in a wheelchair who lets them use the phone they get sort of the runaround from trying to get to the sheriff and we realize that um all of the people networking in this little town are up to nefarious purposes and they as the as the group gets more suspicious they start being like captured and killed we are introduced to leatherface and um you know from there the Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of ensues, if you know what I mean. I do think I know what you mean. Yeah, that's kind of it. We'll get into it, but uh, that's really all all we need to tee up, I think, unless you think I've glossed over anything particularly major. Uh, well, I think this movie is pretty distinct from the first movie in... Um, the way it structures itself with its first half and its second half. The first half pretty much has Arlie Yermi's sheriff character as the villain, um, which is totally new, not in the original at all. And then Leatherface comes in uh, in full hog in the second half, and the two villains are sort of balanced. But I think a pretty distinct feature of this movie that sets it apart from the first is that sheriff character um yeah so i'll just mention that off the, off I, the I believe bat, I it is still like a family dynamic but mm-hmm. because this movie i would say it's fair to say the movie under explains a lot of that um it feels more like a, the, <laughs> setting up that prequel it feels more like dude oh my god it feels more like the town is conspiring against them which i think is like an interesting feeling for the movie to have that like as if it's not limited to just one family um but yeah no that is a fair point like everybody is in on it. everyone they interact with is in on it yeah yeah and they're probably all related i mean the family probably is the town yeah that's that's got to be everybody yeah. they're, they're fucking around and you're about to find out, out. <laughs> yeah we've been doing this for five years people for <laughs> we know what we're doing um Yeah, I mean, uh, I actually, I do want to ask before I ask what you thought. Had you seen this one? 
Yes. Okay. Uh, many, many times. This one, um, this was kind of the one that was on TV when I was when I was a kid. Like, um, if this came out in 2003, I probably started seeing it on TV around 2005. So I would have friends over, and it would be playing on TV, and we'd watch a bit of it here and a bit of it there. Um, so it's kind of. Uh, has a time and place for me in that way it was sort of my texas chainsaw movie for a good long while and and it, some of that might also be the prequel the prequel looks pretty similar to this one um and and uh also came out around the time that i would have seen this one on tv and so um i might be getting them mixed up a little bit but i saw it that way and then um i checked this one out by itself um years ago and then I think I've seen it with some friends a few times. I might have subjected my poor nephew to this movie. Um, I'm curious then, to see why why your poor nephew, because he's he's been through a lot. So I'm I'm looking forward to hearing why this movie gets that distinction. <laughs> it's I guess it's just me in the five years we've done this podcast, really realizing. Uh, how I shouldn't have shown him much of this stuff, and so it's it's not like this one was uh, was any worse than the others. It's just this one was also also pretty gnarly. Um, and I also uh, did some of the I, I wrote the described video for this movie uh, a few years ago, and so I kind of interacted with it very closely. Um, Do you find for a few days? I, d- there. I don't know how many times we've had overlap with movies that you've described video wrote for and we cover but do you find that it does change how you're directly interacting with it i think we've talked about this a bit in the show before and certainly like outside of it but because like now we're gonna do a podcast about it but do you feel like you have a more thorough like knowledge of the movie because you had to be so in depth or anything like that yeah i'd say i have a thorough uh knowledge of it or at least i can um i could speak I think to the way I felt at the time, it does sort of distort how how confidently I might say I feel about a movie because I'm interacting with it in such a specific way. I will say that almost always it makes me like a movie more because I'm watching it very slowly. Um, I'm really, I really have to think about like each shot and I often hear lines of dialogue multiple times and more often than not, that makes me appreciate parts of a movie that I otherwise uh, probably wouldn't have thought about. There have been a few instances where working through it slowly in that way and really thinking about it has made me dislike the movie. And and in each case, I wonder, would I feel this way about the movie had I seen it? Um, right. It's such an more, more casual way of dealing with a movie. Yeah. Or experiencing. Yeah. I guess dealing with implies like an ordeal of some kind, but um <laughs> sometimes it is yeah like i'm sure if you know you had to describe video like a christmas story too it might not endear you to it that much more <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, i don't that that would be a that would be a tough one yeah. to be endeared to um yeah so okay so you had seen it before baseline was good coming in then Yes, uh, Baseline was quite good. Um, I have a fondness for this era of movies, so it's yeah. it's already got that going for House it. Of and I sort of have House of Wax Core, Hills Have Eyes, Friday the 13th, 09, that sort of thing. Um, I have a fondness for uh, 
you know, originally interacting with this movie as a kid. There's some nostalgia there. And I have also just developed um, a respect for the movie in the way that it plays with the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre story and inserts that sheriff character in there. I think it's a, a unique angle that I think... Um, had this movie been made at a different time or by a different writer, you know, I don't know whose idea it was, but I think other times you you make this movie, I don't think that Sheriff character is in there. So it, it's cool that this movie has that going for it. So I am endeared to it uh, in that way. And that held up this time around? It did. It did. I think the movie um, is at the point now where it's wearing off me a bit you know i've probably seen it more than anything yeah the repetition i i think i've probably seen it in full uh, about five times now and i think um the stuff that i like like the the sheriff i like the friend group i really like the aesthetic of the movie whereas the first one is very uh, sun baked. This one, f- it feels like it was like bathed in grime and sweat. Um, there's there's a lot of sweat in the first one, but the first one is is very orange, whereas this one is like dirty green. Um, I I really like that that atmosphere. Um, I think where the movie is losing me a bit at this point is in the second half. It when Leatherface really gets going on chasing Aaron, um, it feels a bit repetitious to me, just set piece to set piece. And I don't dislike those set pieces. I, I, I do think they're well done. Um, but it has grown a little bit tired to me. Um, you know, I didn't watch the, I didn't rewatch this movie at night. Um, and so maybe I just wasn't totally, settled in for the the dark places this movie goes because it really is quite dark maybe i was treating it a bit too casually because i've seen it too many so many times and so i uh i didn't really give it a chance to get its claws into me as much but i i really do appreciate this movie for how grim it is for uh the unsettling images that are in it um, and I really appreciate the way that it handles setup and payoff. You see some really sick stuff in this movie, and, and you see some characters get treated in terrible ways. And I think that the movie is ends up being a crowd pleaser, despite how dark it is, um, with some of the, the action that pays off in the second half. And you see some villains get got, and I think it is... It is uh, really effective it's it's creepy leading up to those moments and then it it sort of is fist pumpy um and i think that that is really fun the movie kind of has this uh this uh stick it to the man sort of idea um that that must have been really um satisfying when the movie came out theatrically and like the the bush era i think this kind of would have been like you know you get to see a sheriff get run over multiple times after being a complete 
twat for an hour so i i like that stuff um so i i really do like this movie i think it's a it's a very noble remake uh because of the differences it has to the first movie while also i think being being a crowd pleaser for texas chainsaw fans and and giving people uh what you what you get in the title there um while still being different enough i mean I can understand being people being scared of this movie when it came out. Uh, scared of it as in as in fans of it worried that it's that it's gonna be that it's gonna be bad or just gonna be a rehash of the original, capturing a sort of magic that is that is impossible to capture again. And so I think it's smart that this movie doesn't seem to be concerned with trying to capture that same magic and is and is doing something a bit different. I think having the same cinematographer as the first movie and feeling so different visually is uh, a testament to that. So I really do uh, appreciate this movie. Um, I'm glad that you had so much to say because it has made me think a little bit about stuff that I, I brushed off initially, but I'm not going to sugarcoat it much um I hated this. I'm shocked. Like truly shocked. Um to the point where <laughs> like the 2022 one is like being given a proper run for its money. What? Yeah. I I, I you got to talk to me. Bro. Yeah, I, I wanted to let you process that because you sound very surprised at what I've just said. Well, because even though I love the Texas Chainsaw 22, I can understand um, the moments that I see in that movie where I'm like, okay, I'm loving this, but I totally understand someone having the complete opposite reaction to that i can't i can't really see those moments in this movie this movie to me at, at worst seems uh seems um you know uh a bit less than middle of the road if this sort of thing isn't isn't your vibe so i, I really want to hear how this how this hit you that way i'm willing to concede like a, a potential level of hyperbole or like it may be being like an unfair one-to-one uh, quality comparison. Um, but I think it might be instructive to like run through some of what you mentioned and just like speak to those things. Um, you talked about how the look of the movie feels distinct from the original, but it feels like it's doing its own thing. The look of this movie is, is far and away one of the biggest problems I have. Um, ironically, I, I didn't say this with the immediate knowledge in my head of what their pedigree was. I have a note that is just me complaining that the entire movie just looks like a music video. Um, I guess that's what happens when you bring in people that shoot music videos for a living and direct primarily music videos. And this was his first feature after doing music videos. Um, but it just, well, it, Go ahead. Yeah, like what about it feels music video E2? What does that what does that I'm mean? I'm gonna well, so there's a shot the the shot that clarified it for me the most is um Aaron is complaining about them having the weed in the car. Like we did then she's like, We didn't just go to Mexico for weed, right? And then they, they have to pull over and they go walk out into like a cornfield and they end up like her and Kemper end up like talking and it's like 
Um, there's a lot of like sun flare. It's like it's not sun baked. I would describe it as like glossy. And I actually find that the color grade gives it like a sheen. And um, it feels like any country star could be that guy in that hat just singing about something. Um, mm. Like it makes it feel like almost soulless to me in that it just looks like shiny and corporate. And um, I was honestly a little taken aback when you said that you found that this really capitalized on the the like sweat soaked grime because I feel like that has been like completely stripped off. Um. It, it feels like it, it rejected the look of the original movie, which I respect as a decision, but what I feel like it's done with it, even in its grossest moments, feels so so slick and so put together and so, for want of a better word, like modern is the word I want to use, but it just feels like very, I don't know. Um, I think slick is the word I'm going to stick with Um, and very like put together in a way that I feel like runs counter to the, the, the vibe it's actually trying to portray. And I think like that shot is a good example because I think it's the most on the nose music video feeling. Um, But by extension, I also think what you get is a lot of like medium shots and a lot of people like standing in, in mid and foregrounds and not a ton of variety and like how people are actually moving in the frame. I think if you look at something like when Leatherface is chasing Aaron and you know how every movie has that sequence of like running through the field and it's dark and it's foggy. I feel like even that is like, it's too clear. Like I can see too much of what's going on. Like the woods don't feel dark enough. The fog doesn't feel thick enough it feels like there's been a veneer just completely slapped over it and it gives it this this shiny quality that i feel like is is undermining what it's doing in terms of any any other aesthetic design because it's undeniable that stuff like the costuming and the and the set design is like intentionally gross and there is gross stuff but I don't feel like the overall, I feel like the overall look of the movie is actually working against that. And the things that end up being functionally gross are like prop driven, be it like uh brain effects or like that backing up sink when the guy in the wheelchair falls or stuff like that. But the way that the movie looks on a purely from the camera level feels like it doesn't want any of that to land. And it's trying to make sure that it doesn't. Interesting. Yeah, I I never quite took it that way. I um I definitely think that the the cinematography in this movie is like more steady than the original. The original has that sort of document documentary feel to it, whereas this certainly feels more um focused and I guess, you know, that could be music video-y but I think that um I guess I think the set design is really going a long way and um and and so the the cinematography doesn't have to do all that much work in order to make this uh atmosphere very like feel full of dread and feel very 
oppressive. Um, and I think there are occasional little moments. Um, I mean, to be honest, I think one of them is the one that that uh, you're comparing to a country music video. I guess it just hit me in a it's different just, it's way. So where glossy, though, isn't it? It is. It is glossy. And then, the, but the material we're dealing with is is the opposite of that. And so I I like that juxtaposition that we're seeing something so glossy while knowing that like these characters are about to be ripped to shreds and then they eventually do get ripped to shreds and it's like in these really like dark gross spaces that are like the, it's like the color of like rust water um and i think it's a, it's it's a cool it's a cool contrast for me it's it's funny how we took this so differently because to me like it doesn't feel like contrast it feels like it's it it's it's doing itself an active disservice like I don't feel the tension in the difference in how those things look. Um, I just feel um, that it it's it's lacking impact. I also feel like the way the initial group gets established feels so trite to the point that it felt like it was sort of losing its own meaning of just like yeah I know it's young people and whatever stereotypes whatever. Um, one interesting thing that I did learn early on when uh, Aaron like doesn't want to have any drinks or smoke or do anything, I took a note where I was like, is she pregnant? Because that's what it felt like they were building it up for. I found out that in a bunch of the drafts of the movie, she she is. And then Michael Bay insisted they take that out. Yes, yeah. And so I guess you could you could still read the movie as, as her being pregnant, right? Because all that stuff is still in there, I suppose, except for the explicit reveal that she is pregnant yeah i just i just thought that was interesting but um yeah the the look i found frustrating and then let me make sure i hit all the points you got because I, I know i went long on that one um where do i want to go with this can you remind me <laughs> well you you had just started talking about the uh the friend group and how that's established. Oh, yeah um and it sounds like we differ there because i really like the way this friend group is established it just feels like and i know like not every movie is going to be like a perfectly unique execution of this formula but i <laughs> i just i don't know it just didn't click for me it felt very by the numbers and i think because i it was already losing me a bit with the look not connecting very well um i had a hard time like jiving with what it was trying to do in particular i think like the the weed smuggling element and like the stoner guy doesn't feel like it worked very well for me um because the tension all it the tension doesn't feel very tensiony it feels like um very superficially imposed like on this situation whereas if all of this had happened and you didn't have a pinata full of weed like the tension would develop on its own because you're in a high pressure situation like it didn't feel like it needed to be like that i i like the the weed stuff as uh you know i think it it ends up um being pretty superficial which i think feels like the point like it's it's 
the the tension between these characters of Aaron uh, doesn't want any involvement with weed, and she learns that her her boyfriend um, was helping them sneak weed across the border without telling her. Um, that that gives a bit of like interpersonal tension, uh, and I like the way that that seems like such a a big deal for them. And as a friend group, you know, that that would be kind of a big deal. Um, But then it it ends up being such a small part of, like, the worst day of your life. And still, it's the thing that made it so the last time that she saw her boyfriend, they were... They weren't uh, on on great terms. They kind of had this thing hanging over them that, that he had betrayed her. Um, and even though uh, they end up going to the house together and he's still supportive of her, uh, that that's hanging over her. And the, and then so he, he gets off. They've just had this fight. And then the next time he sees her, she sees him again, he's a face on someone else's body. Like that's that's just so uh, that's so sad to me to think that um, you could have a little fight with someone and that's like the last time you you ever talk to them um so i like that that there's a little bit of tension that we get in the first half of of the movie i like i like that it makes them a bit more hesitant to call the police i like that um it makes it a bit more like dubious as to the kind of guy Kemp is where he's he's betraying his girlfriend in this way but then he's saying that he he did it uh in order to like start a life help start a life with her which feels noble um and I think their relationship at the beginning before she learns about the weed thing is like really playful and uh and cute and so i think that it's just an an interesting little wrinkle to feature in this friend group before before shit really hits the fan yeah i i I wish i had a better rebuttal than i didn't get there (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but like from the foundation i i wasn't sold so i i I can agree that that would be a sad thing to have happen to a person, but I can I can say that the movie didn't make me feel particularly sad for these people. Um, I don't yeah. think they're like bad, and that's why. But it just like it didn't get me there, so I just I just don't relate to it bringing that level of connection to everybody in the group. Um, I I think it felt like relatively impactless on account of just being trite, like off the top, and then. It didn't like win me back in. Um, I think something that I found a little aggravating with how it approaches this narratively overall, and this is something that we've talked about, but it I don't th- I don't think this is a case of it assuming that you've just seen the original, because as you've said, there's enough differences that you would need to do some level of exposition anyway. But this movie like really, really underexplains what's happening I, it's not that i find it confusing but there's so little um like substance being presented that like you're just supposed to know oh like people are gonna start dying and it's gross but it's like they don't establish like the family dynamic at no point is it articulated like why they're really doing this or like what's up or like any of that 
Um, it just all happens because it's a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, and that's what happens. And I feel like that level of what like comes across to me is like lack of narrative commitment. Um, is is the hurdle for me? Like, well, I guess I have two points that come to mind with that. One is that um, I think that that makes it scarier just like the confusion and and not really knowing how these characters relate to each other and it's and it's sort of hinted at and you've got to draw your own conclusions the ambiguity of it all and two you have to though do you have to draw your own conclusions because like i don't think it welcomes that i think it just i think it just presents you something but i don't think it does it in a way that like demands or encourages you to also be inquisitive about it because as you even said in the second well, half, like it just becomes like set piece central, right? Like, like I don't, I don't think that there are many answers you can come up with. I think it's it's pretty clear. But if you're saying that the the narrative doesn't explain it to you, then I think um, you've got to do at least uh, some of the thinking as to like how these characters relate to each other. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that it's like inscrutable and like too complicated for like my monkey brain to understand, but if the movie wants it to have weight, it needs to give you something. Doesn't it? Yeah, I guess I, th- I think it does. I don't um, feel, I feel like it, it just, it, it's just like, when can we get to the, the bloody part? Like it doesn't feel interested in in teeing up what's happening. I feel like the original movie does a good job teeing up what's happening and like giving you a bit more as it goes. Like I'm not asking for a five minute exposition scene where it just tells me, but like once the Leatherface introduction kind of happens, it just sort of feels like like Leatherface yakety sacks for a while. And that feels like especially the phase of the movie where, like, reveal something to me. And it, it doesn't feel like it, it gets there. Well, that was my other point, is that doesn't... To me, I feel like the original also uh, has a, a bit of ambiguity and um, abruptness to it. And this sort of... Uh, zany randomness that that isn't really explained because you can kind of figure it out yourself um and so i'm i'm curious as to how you think the like what you think the original does that makes it clearer than what this is i think something that comes to mind is like having that like dinner table element and like that sequence of being like locked in and like everybody's there i also think the family dynamic being more explicit helps sell the movie in the first one on what it's doing whereas i think one of the biggest weaknesses here in particular and some that we haven't gotten to a ton yet is that like of all the elements to really not go into earlier you made the joke that they didn't say anything because they wanted to save it for the prequel i think that has to be right to some extent because of all the things to give us nothing on like Leatherface is the most we get nothing of all of it. And again, I don't need you to hold my hand and just like give me like a bedtime story about the origin of Leatherface, but you have to give me something. I think what's interesting about other Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies that we've watched is that you do have some sense of the interiority of Leatherface, whether they're attempting to humanize Leatherface super meaningfully or not. 
and there is some sense of method or at least like emotional momentum behind the the anarchy of the of his actions and also like some of them get into that like ambiguity of the gender space and it like goes and does something here it to me it just feels as though it's like well the movie's gotta have leatherface in it so here's the chainsaw guy and then that's it it's just we here we've presented the perfunctory chainsaw guy he's gonna run through some laundry he's gonna run through a mill he's gonna run through whatever <laughs> and i'm just like okay why so maybe it sounds like you would need a scene kind of like the in the original where like Leatherface is like um sitting next to a window by himself and sort of like fidgeting nervously i like humanizing him a bit a in that bit, way humanizing or just something because it feels like Leatherface just like arrives and they're like ah yes Leatherface is here go do your Leatherface things you know what i mean whereas I feel like previous movies um, do more to give a sense of, like, grounding of, like, this is the circumstances, this is at least a, a crumb or a semblance of why Leatherface is like this. Um, and that just didn't feel present here. So, like, those things in conjunction, as I said, like, just make it feel really hollow. Because you're like, yeah, it's doing all the stuff, but, like, okay. And I think that, in tandem with, like, the the sheen I felt it had in the aesthetic department, uh, not purely cinematography, but just also just, like, just visually overall, like, just makes it feel really um, surface and then also just, like, hard to, like, get into because it doesn't feel like there's anything for me to get into. Um, I had a really hard time trying to, like, engage with this particularly closely because it didn't feel like i needed to because like there's it didn't feel like there was anything there yeah i think i, I think i see what you mean i think leatherface does feel more uh abrasive and hulking in this movie than in previous movies he's a bit more of like a uh um a force of nature yeah, but, I, but i still want to why with that like i don't resent that in theory but in practice, it's just like it feels perfunctory rather than like an intentional decision to make him feel that way. You know what I mean? Like sure. it feels it feels yeah. more like this is called Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Therefore, we have a guy that looks like Leatherface. I also think I'm I'm not as big a fan of this Leatherface design as I am of other Leatherface designs. Okay, I love so, this. I think it's so scary. Um, so maybe I just had. Um, a bigger hill to climb to try to get on the movie's side. Um, because like, as we've established, it started in a bit of a hole anyway. Um, and maybe part of the reason that we don't get the, that depth of Leatherface is because like I said earlier, this sort of feels like it's, uh, it has, it has split between two main villains with the sheriff character. So I want to know what you think, think about him because i think he kind of steals the show and he's what i remember this movie for much more than leatherface yeah uh i think his performance the act on the actor level he's he's fucking great and like that's an undeniable greatness i think like uh he's leaning into the best elements of his full metal jacket performance but in a way that is a lot more like 
that feels more intentionally fun for him to perform it. If you get what I mean. And I think that that's cool. I think he's really good. However, I don't, I like what they're doing with the sheriff angle, but because that is so much more thoroughly explored than the Leatherface angle, it frustrates me a bit to wonder why this is a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Um, because it does feel as though it's it's almost a little bit ignoring the Leatherface element in favor of that, which is fine. And I know I'm trying to have my cake and eat it too in my critique here, but like, A, yes, Leatherface has to be in the movie, but B, why not just do more with him? Uh, because while I think the Sheriff character is interesting, and I think he's the performance is quite good, um, just give me a movie about a town that is very hostile to outsiders instead. Um, I, I don't know why it's still sticking with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre premise and then uh, leaning so heavily that way. That's interesting. I th- I think what you just said is the way I interpret the movie, that you say, give me a movie about uh, hostile, a town that's hostile to outsiders. And I, I do think that that's what this movie is and that's why i like this take on it that it sort of takes a step back from yeah, and sorry, i don't want the leather face you're right that is what it is but then i i just wonder why not just do that without the leather face element at all instead it feels like it's just shortchanging that when it ought to be more fundamental if that's the movie that you're like rebooting i mean i guess it, like if i if i scrubbed my memory of all the other Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies um, and the places we've seen Leatherface go. I think when I see this movie, I would I would t- take uh, I would see the Leatherface thing and I would be like, "Yo, that's a really fucked up character that lives in this town. He wears people's faces and he put on the boyfriend's face and he hangs people up on hooks and he he likes to run around with the chainsaw." Like I think that it's still fundamentally such like a scary set of traits that I think. I think you know why not? Why not use it? You got to keep that in there. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't know. How did you feel about the trailer sequence with uh, the the two women? Yeah. I think that is sort of analogous to the original's dinner table scene. Certainly not in its. Uh, uh, in its like grandeur like when you think of the original movie you're gonna think of that dinner table sequence you're gonna think of that that chaos that sickness um the the gradual reveal of like how disturbed this family really is when the when the grandfather comes in and i, and I i'm not saying that th- this movie uh has that scene in the trailer but how i do think it's comparable is that is the scene where it really becomes clear like how deep this uh this darkness is running in this town and how it how it is uh has more people than who you expected um behind it and so i think it's a it's a very unsettling scene um you know that's that's where it's revealed that um 
there's uh, the family situation going on uh, when she discovers the family photo that she had found earlier. Um, and I think it, it is really just one of those classic horror movie scenes of you think you found someone to help you and uh, those people are actually part of the evil you're running away from. And so I think it's it's a really creepy scene. I really like it. What about you? In the interest of complete transparency, by that point, the movie was pretty far away from winning me back over. So I I was already kind of out. Um, and it didn't do a lot for me, but that's because I was already <laughs> kind of in opposition to where the movie was going, if that makes sense. Like, in, in, in complete fairness, like, from a from an unfair from an unfair perspective to the movie it didn't like totally work but it's because like the rest of it hadn't um more than anything else okay uh, well let me uh let me ask you this about the Leatherface character because this movie does something unique in that it's the first one that unmasks Leatherface and you see what he looks like and then it also gives a bit of context to that talking about how he was uh how he was you know like uh bullied as as a kid because of this disease that he had and so how do you think that factors into how you how you think about this leatherface character like is that is that enough for you or does it bother you um i don't know if it if it bothers me i think i would just go back to like i just felt like i still wanted more to it um, I don't know if maybe I needed more earlier, like if that could have made a difference. Um, yeah, because that that reveal comes after the trailer scene, and if I guess if you were already out by that point. But I think that's I think that uh, that flow of things is is really cool. How she gets drugged at the trailer, and then uh, the family all meets up, and that's where you learn about Leatherface's, uh, you know, his his disease. Yeah. Um, I guess a little too little too late for me. Like ultimately, I don't like hate the premise or anything. Um, but I I don't know if I'm gonna have like a super, uh, like well rounded rebuttal or anything. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, what about what about just the classic slasher kills in this movie? What do you think about the way that this group is picked off? Is there any stuff in there that stuck out to you? <sighs> Not as much as I would have liked. Uh, maybe it's. Texas Chainsaw Massacre premise fatigue um but uh it all just it, it feels by the book um I I, I do want to say though like I think the effects are pretty gross um and they look quite good the the fact that she blows like a perfect circular hole through her head and then the camera goes through it Oh yeah, that's to be honest, that's the scene I think of when I think of this movie. Like that's yeah, the moment I think like, of. For all the complaints I've had about a visual impression, that that's undeniably pretty cool. <laughs> but uh Yeah, I mean like And there there are some there's some really cool bits of dialogue around that suicide, uh that sort of um are 
clever in that we're watching them in a movie called the texas chainsaw massacre and we know people are about to get it's about to get so much worse like i like how the the one dude says i've never seen anybody die before um after that suicide and you know a lot of people are about to die um i like when pepper says there's no possible way i'm ever getting back in the van and then it immediately cuts to the the van van driving off um and then I like the sheriff also saying when he's investigating the dead body, he says, I got just about as much respect for a dead body as anybody around here. And then, of course, we learned that the whole town is full of sickos that don't respect dead bodies at all. So I think I think the having that dead body in the car the entire time ends up kind of paying off pretty heavily in this movie. Yeah, it's got some some good bits that that's also something you have to kind of hand to the movie um i just think some of it where you're like i don't know i don't know what i'm demanding or anything but it's like you see a guy, you, you can only see a guy get a leg cut off so many times um or like get put on a meat hook or whatever uh, i think one of my bigger complaints around like the violence element is actually more like the chainsaw stuff i there's a bunch of scenes where the chainsaw has a bunch of sparks and the sparks looked really silly to me. They look like uh, they look like music video pyro again. Um, okay, but uh, no. Um, to to try to focus on like the the slashery element. Um, I think it's well done by the team that made them, but I don't know if I was like particularly wowed in terms of like concept or anything. Yeah, I'd say that this movie um, isn't like the Friday the Thirteenth. Um the whole franchise kind of isn't isn't really that thing where it's like you, you don't remember the these movies for their specific kills it's more about the horror in general and not about the the fun kills even though there are of course some some really notable kills in the franchise um and so in this this movie i, I remember people's deaths but not necessarily the like the creativity or the the uniqueness of the deaths and more just like how how sad they are like i think of um i think of kemp getting getting bashed uh immediately as our first kill uh similar to the the first movie with that iconic leatherface kill and i i think about how um he's set up as like the romantic lead um and then he's offed so quickly i like that idea and I also think of uh, Andy hanging up on the meat hook for so much longer than you would expect. Like you think he's dead already, and then he gets—you find him in the basement, and he's just begging Aaron to end his life. And uh, there are those piano keys that he's like, his toes are just dangling over. I think that is just such a sad, evocative image. And likewise for Morgan, she finds Morgan in the bathtub with this big wound in his back. Uh, you expect he's dead already. and uh, But no, he wakes up in the bathtub and he just starts like flailing in fear after being woken up from whatever days he was in. And all that stuff to me is just like so scary. Like I really feel like... Uh, I'm feeling the tragedy of of these young adults just getting caught up in in this fucking mess and then once you're there like what do you what do you do with it so I think of the movie not in terms of like its individual kills but in terms of uh the the tragedy of it all Yeah I I 
I really like that you were able to get to a point where you were invested enough that that was able to connect better. Um, I think my biggest uh, hurdle to that, uh, so to speak, is that like it because I didn't get over the initial hump of that like baked in investment from the intro. Um, it just loses the weight through the rest of the runtime. So, in acknowledging that, like the the structurally, their their meat and potatoes sort of kills, but it's the emotional depth of it for you that helps like put it over over the top i just didn't have that part of the viewing experience how often do you think you're watching a movie and your opinion of it that you got from the first 20 minutes 40 minutes 10 minutes whatever it is your the opinion that you kind of had in the initial stages of the movie how often does that uh, manage to get flipped for you by the second half does that happen often or do you find that if your mind is sort of uh, made up in a certain way in the early stages of the movie you tend to uh, keep that going all the way through I would say it's tough to put a number on it most of the time uh I imagine I I probably do rely a lot on like what the first third of a movie is like able to sell me. Um I'm trying I'm racking my brain trying to think of examples of where my mind has been changed later as I'm sure they exist. Nothing is immediately springing to mind. Um I I think that part of the the issue for me is knowing that so much of the opening act of a movie is about audience buy-in, and I think I'm fairly susceptible to that. Um, rarely is a movie built around assuming that it will win its audience over by the time that it's over. It tends to operate on the assumption that you've been won over and are on the ride that the movie's bringing you on. Uh, and as we've talked about on the show in the past, uh, sometimes I don't like a movie because I was in a bad mood when I tried to watch it. Uh, and you know, that's obviously not, not fair to the movie. I don't think this was an example of that. Um, because I ultimately, the first time I tried to watch this movie, I think it may have been a casualty of that. And then I, I actually picked a different day to watch yeah. it. Yeah. You said you turned it off. Yeah. Right? Um, but that was less, I, that was more like I was struggling to focus. Um, I don't think it was, I, I'm not necessarily willing to prescribe that directly onto the movie. But I do think I am probably somebody who ends up feeling how I feel near the beginning, like more often than not. Um, I, I'm sure that it's happened where uh, I have been one over. I just can't think of examples right now. Okay. That's interesting. You know, movies definitely do want you to buy in quickly. Um, they don't want they don't want you to to change that channel. They want you to be along for the ride. I've found, though, uh, that I try to um, really leave myself open to the second half of a movie because I think I'm sort of at my most vulnerable, my most uh, arms crossed, impress me mode when a movie first starts because, like, I oftentimes I don't know what the movie is going to be about, what its tone is going to be about. I try to avoid a lot of that stuff. And so when a movie first starts, it's 
likely not going to be what I expected. It might not be what I'm in the mood for. And so I've kind of figured out that if I make up my mind early about a movie, um, I'm probably going to end up disliking a lot of movies that I that I otherwise would like just because uh, it's 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 tough to get you in the in the first 20 minutes it's a really hard thing to do when a movie could be about anything whereas I think it's it's uh, easier for me to then ride out that beginning and and let the movie wash over me and then really kind of after I've been there for a while in the last half that's when I can finally make up my mind on the movie because like now I'm used to what it's doing and I can kind of meet it where it is whereas when the movie first starts it's like I might be way over on the left and the movie is coming at me from the right and so of course I'm not going to be into it in in the first little bit I need to like gradually meet it where it is I think I want to amend my point a little bit I I think that on the average, I am probably more willing than I initially implied to obviously get through a movie and then assess it sort of how you said with um, taking it as a whole. I, I don't want it to come across as though I'm writing off movies very quickly. I think maybe a more accurate version of that is that I, I am more likely to be prejudicial against a movie if it really loses me early. Um it's still sort of functionally the same thing, but I, I don't think that happens so frequently that I would say that I live or die by the opening of a movie. But if I find that the opening of a movie like really doesn't click, um, I have a really hard time getting one back around. Right. Where, yeah, whereas I think on my average viewing experience, I think a good example, um, I recently saw Talk to Me. Um, yeah, I saw it too. Which is a movie that, as you'll note, because you read my Letterboxd review, but I actually found lost me more near the end than the beginning. I think conceptually that movie has like such a good fucking idea going uh, that like I was in right away and then it, it was sort of the opposite where like it wasn't any like one glaring flaw. I just think like it doesn't do what I thought it was going to do with that concept in it. Like it, I gradually kind of was less uh, into the movie as it went. Um, so like it can, it cuts both ways. It is a like a movie yeah. by movie kind of thing. I think that's an e- definitely an easier thing to have happen yeah. to, you know, it's, it's easier to, to let someone down after they're into it. But imagine if the movie's str- uh, structure or something, if you had watched the movie backward, I wonder if you would have liked what is the first half. But if the first half was in the second half, would you have liked that second half if the first half had already set you off? I think you probably would have liked it less because that's a harder thing to do is to, if you're already not impressed with a movie to then, you know, open up your mind and be, and, 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 uh, and appreciate what's in it later. Yeah. Um, It is interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I wish I had a better answer for that. I mean, maybe that's something I need to think about. Um, I do think, though, in this particular instance, it was an example of got lost early, wasn't going to win me back. 
Um, and I'm willing to just concede that one. Well, one more thing I want to ask you about how this hit you in the second half of the movie, because I think this is the 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 biggest moment of the movie. It's not the it's not the moment I think about all the time. That that's the 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 suicide and the um the camera going through the gunshot wound. But the other thing I think about is the sheriff getting absolutely creamed by the car and then getting run over again and then getting run over again. To me, that is like one of the greatest crowd-pleasing moments in a fucking horror movie I can think of. And so I wonder how that struck you. I thought it was really dumb. (laughs) Wow. I know, but like, I was just like, okay, Again, though, I think that's more of a side effect of, like, me being of the mindset of why are we focusing so much on this guy? And then, like, that foundational approach and having the issue. So then I'm like, yeah, okay, we get it. He's bad, you know? But I I, yeah, I didn't have a crazy pop kind of reaction to, to that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, when that moment happens to me, you know, even if uh, by the time the movie's over, if I were like, why did we focus so much on the sheriff? Uh, This is a Texas Chainsaw movie. Where was where was the humanization of Leatherface? What's up with the sheriff guy? Even if I, I did come to those conclusions, the movie does put in so much work into making the sheriff such a bastard that I I uh I think that seeing him get run over three times is like the perfect way to pay that off, and so it's it's uh, it's cool to hear that that it di- that didn't that didn't work for you because that seems like the that seems to me like even if you couldn't get into like the the tragedy the sadness of of these characters dying because you 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 weren't on board with the movie at that point um i would think at the very least you can get on board with this piece of shit getting like run over i, I don't times. think he should have lived or anything but uh i was just like i'm like once was enough Hitting him once was fine. Well, no, no, Corey, no. The whole point is I, that once wasn't no, I enough. No, but I was just like, okay, I understand, lady. <laughs> I get it. This dude's a piece of shit. Interesting. You're pro cop. <laughs> yeah, that's. If, if there's anything I want people to take away from this, it's, it's very specifically that. Um. <laughs> cool. cool. Um. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's a shame that Mitch isn't here for this I, yeah, one to really be to know. some sort of uh, Arbit- arbitrator. Some, yeah, some sort of arbitrator. I just wonder where he where he falls, especially because I'm sure he's a Full Metal Jacket fan. Oh no doubt, I'm sure he'd be waxing very poetic as as we should be. He's great. Um, but yeah, this is one where we're, our paths diverge uh, early and often. In the end, yes, and and whenever our paths diverge like this, it always makes for interesting conversation months down the road when we bring up one of these movies and one of us says, oh, "I wonder if I still feel that way, or if I wonder if I was too nice to that movie or too harsh on that movie." Um, so this is fun. I think we're making history right now. So what? So now, af- now that I know that you hate this movie. Uh, I want to talk quickly again about how you feel about this franchise as a whole, because now that is another movie to be added to the don't like category. Um, so all that all all of what you said is still true that you're endeared to this franchise, even though you like what two of these movies? Maybe? Yeah, ultimately, 
I still am endeared to it. And I think, you know, part of that is just, um, it's the weight of the show, right? Like it's the show doing the heavy lifting of this means something to me because of personal attachment. Uh, but I do still find it interesting, like, because it's a, a lot of remakes, seeing this many different iterations of the same thing is still, like, fundamentally interesting, kind of no matter what to me. Um, even if I'm not winning in the end every time. So someone on the street comes up to you and says, hey, Corey, you're, you're a movie guy, you're a horror movie guy. Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, what do you think of those movies? Do you like them? Like, what do you oh, say? gosh. I mean, it's some boring, wishy-washy answer, I guess. It's some, like, eh, some of them are great. Some of them are awful. But you always got to give it a shot, you know? You got to okay. give it its chance to see if, it, if it's going to be one that you like or you don't. And I guess we'll continue yeah. with that. But, yeah, I, I mean, like, I would sound like some non-committal asshole who didn't want to be controversial. Because I'm not prepared to say that I, I like, don't like it. Because the good stuff's, like, fucking amazing. Um, and you know maybe I watch this movie in the future and something like clicks differently like I'm not prepared to rule anything out Um, certainly based on like initial watches if you've watched it like so many times and I've seen it once you know like those are also just different things too Um, I know that first time around I didn't care for this but uh, I think part of the ethos of the show on like a foundational level is uh, giving stuff a chance regardless and I, i'm gonna continue to do that cool and eventually we'll start our tmao sequel podcast where we just rewatch every movie we remake our own yeah. show and just rewatch every every episode that we've ever done so we'll uh we'll, we'll get back yeah, to it exactly um or we may talk about this again Chaz recently proposed a good idea that i think we ought to consider where the folks who missed certain movies watch them and then we do like a catch-up so like mitch could watch this and then at some point in the future we can relitigate as well yeah that'd be really fun we did a similar thing to that uh at the end of our first year where we watched uh the originals yeah, of movies which we, that we, we, we had we haven't seen. revisited that i think largely for time more than mm -hmm. anything else i think it's a good idea i just think we are busier now than we were four years ago yeah and chaz's idea is uh is easier to do because it it uh makes the pot much smaller as opposed to rewatch it or to, as opposed to watching the original of any episode we had done i mean your your options are almost uh in your case i mean you could do like over pick from over a hundred movies i bet um whereas in this case it's like each of us have only missed so many episodes so i would love to do that that sounds like a yeah. lot of fun uh we're about to do another thing that Chaz loves okay oh it's baby. been a while but it's just this is a good old-fashioned straight up william castle film genero uh we don't know what we're watching next week normally it would have been somebody's pick uh not for now uh, I personally am very committed to doing the general all year. Um, I believe Liam is of a similar mind to me, or at least like fine with that. I know Mitch is not like ultimate big time general guy. So maybe in the next few months, like there'll be some choices, 
but uh it's fucking general time i'm very excited at the prospect of bringing the general back more dedicatedly um i think it just adds an element to the show that is particularly unique i agree i i think it's fun i i always add movies to this podcast list um and uh, you know a lot of times these movies are gonna go uh are just gonna get scanned over if we're only picking movies that that we want um so I, I i'm very excited about this i'm like i said at the top of the episode i'm currently on vacation in my childhood home and so this genero is going to mean a lot to me because it's going to determine what i do with two hours of my precious vacation time uh this is going to be two hours i spend not hanging out with my family who i seldomly see so there's a lot riding on this Corey. yeah and also and also dare i say uh, I said earlier this episode won't take two hours, and I mean it's closer to two hours than not. <laughs> That's all right with me. This was a great talk. Uh, how many how many movies have you got in that, in that bad boy? <laughs> well, I just deleted Texas Chainsaw Three because we're gonna get to that on our own in a year yeah. or two, and I deleted Ouija Origin of Evil because we've done it before, so. There are definitely some stragglers here that shouldn't be on the list, um, but we're at 308, and we'll see where that and takes us. And as a us. reminder... 308. I'm going to give Liam the result of the Genero. We are going to find out what we're not watching to build future intrigue, and also just a little bit of fun for us. Then we will identify the actual movie in question. Yes, so you're gonna you're gonna randomly ge- generate a number between one and three hundred. That is correct. And, and the William Castle Genero, film Genero has has prescribed each movie a number. It it's done the heavy lifting for us, and it will ultimately sort of clank and clunk through its various gears and mechanisms and and come up with something. So I'm gonna say the words we always say with the William Castle film Genero, which is of course big money. No skeletons. Three, two, one, spin. It's a low number. It's two digits. Wow. It's 73. So again, as a reminder, you're going to hear 72 and 74. And then we will reveal... You already laughed. And then we will reveal 73. I'm nervous. I'm immediately... This is huge. huge. This is huge for me and you, Corey. I don't know how Mitch will feel. Or good huge? I guess we'll find out. So what was seventy? What did we miss? Seventy-two was. I still know what you did last Ooh. summer, which would be appropriate. It's summer, so that's sort of a shame. Seventy-four is hoodwinked two, T O O two. Like the animated movie? Yeah, a little animated okay. action. Ah, <laughs> uh, and seventy-three. I'm, so like, I'm like nervous in my stomach. It's been so long. <laughs> <laughs> this is why this is why Corey loves the film genero and also why Corey doesn't do drugs he gets it all I'm from high here. on life brother <laughs> so what we're gonna do next week is the sequel to a movie that Corey and i watched together oh last year remotely Corey said earlier in the episode that Corey and i don't really watch movies together remotely uh we don't watch movies together outside of the podcast well on Christmas Eve of 2022, Corey and I did watch a movie together. Um, that movie was Single White Female. Oh 
And so next week we are doing single white female two. Wow. Okay, nice. So you're caught up, Corey. You're, you've seen the original. You're ready to go. I, I, we've never been more ready in a lot of senses. We know exactly how we both feel about this uh, as a franchise. And I think ideally we have no idea how Mitch feels. Yeah, like that that might be a movie that he's seen before. It wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Does this have a subtitle? No subtitle? Not that I wrote down. May we find out now? Uh, you know what? I think we should leave it, Corey, because I don't even want to know who stars in okay. this movie. I might have known at some point, but I don't know right now. I kind of want to keep it that way, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna Google single white female. Okay, too. fair enough. That's what we're watching. Um, uh, <laughs> that'll be something. Uh, okay. Single white female too. Singler whiter. More Singler whiter estrogen filled. <laughs> um. Well, do you have anything you want to plug before we go? I have a film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. I also have a Weezer podcast, In the Weeds with Weezer, the Little Bitches podcast. You look that up on YouTube or Spotify. You can hear me talk about Weezer albums with some friends of mine. And uh, you were also in a band. I'm going to encourage you to plug all oh. your stuff every time. <laughs> Oh, okay, yeah. Five years in, I, I guess I ought to. I'm in a band called Guest Room Status. We play, like, emo-y type rock yeah. music. math uh, If you like that sort of stuff. thing, look that up. Yeah, we do some math equations. E equals MC, I'm scared. It's <laughs> a great one of yours. <laughs> I wonder if a song, like, with that style of name surely exists, but, like, that feels like a pretty good bit for a particular kind of song. I see E equals MC scared as a meme when I look it up, but I don't see a song titled E equals MC. I'm scared. Yeah, well, so. that's never stopped anybody before. Yeah, I should do it. <laughs> um, you can find all the other podcasts I make at mortalcombatconquest.ca. It's the URL where all of those things are rounded up. There is Strat 2, which is an F1 podcast that uh, is w wildly out of date uh, that I do with our friend Calm. Uh, the bigger one is MK PodQuest, which uh, we're still trucking through the end of here. We have a couple stragglers that are a little bit harder to record, but we do that with our friend Neil, uh, MK PodQuest, Twitter, Instagram, uh, all your podcast services. And we're going to be wrapping that one up and rebranding it a little bit soon. So if you want to keep an eye on what we're doing over there, that's how you can do that. Thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Instagram at They Made Another, which is all one word on Letterboxd, that TMAO. You can find us on all of your podcasting services, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Rate and review us on those if you use them. Five stars would be great, but I guess you can be honest too if you want. Um, all of those do make a difference in getting it out to more people and we'd really appreciate it if you did that uh, you can send us uh, an email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes questions, comments, and what you think the subtitle to Single White Female 2 is um, our Instagram DMs are also open if you're interested in reaching us there uh, our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches and with all that out of the way we'll find out what that subtitle is next week and they made another one. <laughs>